0: We're thankful to have you. My name is Chris Pate. I am the lead pastor here. I was gone last week, got to minister at one of our churches, our Ever Nation Church in Austin, called Family Life Church with Pastor Shad. He's such a great guy. So, got to be there. Were y'all blessed by Pastor G, our executive pastor here, and his great word? Really appreciate G, such a wonderful teacher. And uh, aren't you glad we have a church where we have amazing teachers? I mean, honestly. Uh, my passion is to not be a celebrity pastor, not be the only guy you ever listen to, because as a diverse church, we need a diverse mix of people that come up here and teach. Some people like this style, some people like this style. And for us, we want to lift up Jesus most of all and not any one person. And that's our passion at City Life. That's the kind of church you're a part of. If you're new, we're thankful to have you. If you're online, we're thankful that you are watching. Those online, those here, guys, it's a hard time of day to come to church. It's easy to get content and do other things, but to come to church, because we want to worship together. We want to hear the word of God together, to give honor to the word of God. Take time out of your schedule to give honor to the word of God and the worship of people online or here is a great thing so you should pat yourself on the back god's like yay thank you i appreciate that and we are thankful to have you today we are in part two of our series we're doing the whole year on a series called parables and we wanted to look at the parables of jesus today because jesus is our lord and our savior we are disciples of jesus not disciples of elon musk Not disciples of whoever your favorite person is or favorite thing, but disciples, apprentices to Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I gave my life to Jesus before I was a pastor, I understood that it meant I think he's the smartest, the wisest, the best, not only human that came, but God and is the one that I want to follow in his way, in his rules, in his life, In everything about him. And I'm here to say, if you don't think that about Jesus, you will put Jesus in this little box. Where you'll read your Bible and you'll get a story and you'll get a moral truth and you'll feel really good. Or you'll adopt the idea that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. And that is a horrible, 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 I say horrible Way to view the Bible. Way to view the story of God. And the worldview, the filter that he wants to give you of what's going on in our world. Why is there division? Why is there evil? Why do I struggle within me? Why are there so many ideas and philosophies? And at some point, we can't be so mixed that we're trying to follow everything and everyone because really... Everyone is saying something different. I know in my heart, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. We are looking at the parables of Jesus, not as good moral truths or basic instructions before we leave earth, as if Jesus only is here to help us get to heaven. He is here to bring heaven here. And for us... To be a part of the kingdom of God now and what he wants for us. So he has a way to live, a way to think, a way to view reality. And these stories that he gives us are common stories and common commonality stories that we have that give us a perspective of the kingdom of God. In fact, the purpose of this parable series is to connect the stories of the kingdom of God, the greater story. To our everyday lives And let me tell you These stories connect to us today The Bible is not just some antiquated Old storybook with morals It will pierce your heart And get into who you are And what you believe Not to make you crazy But to make you a person of love like Jesus was That's the goal Today we're going to get into A very very popular parable Many of you know about it Have heard of it I mean, you will hear it almost once a week, whether it's on a show or a news report, the idea of the Good Samaritan. It's probably one of the most, I, would, I haven't had done a poll, but it has to be one of the most popular or well-known parables of Jesus. But I want to ask you to do something. Because it's well-known, because you're like, ah, I get the Good Samaritan, now I'm just going to feel bad because I'm not doing good things. That's not the ultimate point of the parable. So I wanna dive into the word today because we are gonna explore the genius of Jesus. We almost titled this genius of Jesus instead of a parable because he is genius in the way he talks, in the way he instructs and in the way he lives. Turn your Bible with me to Luke chapter 10. We're gonna be going slow and we're gonna really dive in to this story called the good Samaritan. Luke 10, verse 25, says this, and behold, a certain lawyer, now wait, this is not Scott Fiddler Law, this is not Jackson Walker, this is not a secular type lawyer, not that you're secular, you're a very godly man, but secular laws you have to know. This is a person who was studious in the law, a scribe. He knew the law of God, which was their law. So this is a religious leader who knows the scriptures, he's learned, he teaches, he knows it. So, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now. It's helpful to know what's going on and know a little bit of background when you study the Bible. Because you want to be there. You you want to just pull it out and try to make sense of it, what was happening. And let me tell you, previous to this, before this guy stands up and tests Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Before that, Jesus has sent out not just his 12, but he had... He had a bunch of people. He set up 70 people all around the Galilee area to go into the city, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cast out demons, do all of these amazing things. Then they come back. And just like you might have at a business meeting or maybe a family meeting, you have a debrief. They would sit down and the rabbi or the teacher would sit down with his disciples and he would debrief and they would talk about whatever the rabbi wanted to teach them. Well, they're debriefing what had happened and they come to him and they're all sitting there and they're saying, Jesus, it was amazing. We saw people healed. We saw God move at your name. He said, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And they were astonished and they were amazed. And Jesus goes into this prayer, and he's so thankful because he's seeing God move, and Jesus can do it, but he loves seeing his disciples do it. He loves seeing them walk and act like him, which is what an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus, does. So he's excited, but he tells them, listen, don't be so excited, overly excited, too excited that the demons are subject to you, that they do what you say according to my name, But be thankful and grateful that your name is written in the book of life. That you will inherit the kingdom of God. That you are a child of God. So he says, don't be like the world that loves the celebrities and loves power. Don't forget, the best thing is that you have a relationship with God. He loves you. You love him. That's the number one thing. Then, as they're all seated... There is this lawyer that happened to come. I I picture, we don't know, but I picture he saw them doing all these works and all these things, and he just started tagging along, as many people would do. Some people would do this in Jesus' group because there would be so many people around. He was the hottest ticket in town. Some of them would be Pharisees or religious leaders that were trying to catch Jesus in some kind of trap. So that they could discredit it. And in an honor-shame culture, they could say, you're no good. You don't believe the scriptures. And they could fight him. Does that sound like today at all? People just waiting to pounce on you on YouTube, on Google. Because they know better. And if they can shame you, it makes them feel better. Because our tribe is right, not yours. We don't know the motive of this guy. Maybe He had a good heart, and he really wanted to know. So he stands up, and it wasn't bad. They were a very confrontational type, nationality. The Jews would stand up if you need to ask a question. It was a sign of reverence to the teacher. And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe he's going, I heard you talking about rejoicing of eternal life. What do I do? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? You're a teacher of the law. Your understanding of the law, how do you read it? I love this so much, and this is the genius of Jesus. He doesn't always, as a good teacher, just tell the truth. Just sometimes it's not helpful if someone asks you a question and you answer it. Sometimes, and if you're a parent, let me help you out. I've got teenagers. Just giving them an answer, they're ready to refute. They've got a rebuttal. They're like, yeah, but what about me? I know my thing and what I feel and my truth. Okay. Sometimes it's better to lead people to truth than to tell them the truth. Have you heard of leading the witness? Come on, Scott. The idea, though, is that you're leading them into truth because now you're not just being the Bible answer man because you're not really sure where they are. You want to see what they really, really want because they might be developing some straw man argument or some ad hominem, it means against the man, like they're trying to come at you. And the genius of Jesus is he flips it and he's like, well, I mean, you know the law. And he makes him have to give an answer because he wants to see where he is. Jesus isn't a manipulative person, but he's not a dumb person. In fact, he tells us to be as soft and kind and gentle as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. Don't be dumb. Don't get caught. And it's brilliant. If you read the gospel, you see how brilliant he was because people were out to get him, out to cancel him, out to hurt him, and yet he always was able to speak to them in such a way where many just left going, I don't even know what to say because he's God. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is Very commonplace, most learned or taught, understood scripture down to these two commandments. This was not a new idea. This was to get on the same page. Yes, love God, love people. But not just say you love God, love him with all that you are. And watch Jesus' response. You have answered rightly. Then Christian points to you. Do this and you will live. What was the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, you know the answer. And I actually agree with your theology. We're on the same page. But he says this, I believe, almost with a hint of sarcasm. Do this and you will live. Do what? Love the Lord your God. This is out of Deuteronomy 6. With all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind Means that nothing besides God comes first Nothing comes before God Nothing absorbs you and your energy and your time and your strength and your mind Nothing delights your thoughts more than God It means to love God with 100% of your thoughts 100% of your time How are you doing with this? He says, "You know the truth. How's it going for you? Cuz this is what you got to do. Why? God gave you that mind, of course. He has a copyright C on it. It's his property. He gave you that strength, of course. He wants you to love him with it. Just like you want your kids to listen to you because you gave them this life. You've taken care of them when My daughter, thankfully, she's not dating anybody yet, but one day she will when he comes to me and he takes her out too late. Guess what? Okay. I wiped that girl's hiney, man. You ain't doing nothing. Not that I own her, but there is a level of respect and honor due to the Pate family name and to my family that this is the way we act. This is who we are. We honor those that have gone before us and loved us well. This is obvious. Love God with everything that you are. And so Jesus says, bingo, great job. Have fun. Can you do it? And we know this pierced this guy's heart. Why? Because his response is this. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? We, we have to stop here because this is crucial to understand what's going on before we even get to the Good Samaritan because this is why Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Not just to say, be a really good person, but because this guy was justifying his thoughts and actions in his own mind. Why did he do that? Because he realized, I don't love God with all of I am. I love a lot of things more than God. And and really, that's what sin is. It's disordered loves. You should love your work. Love your work. Love your spouse. Love, in a sense, having time to have entertainment and recreation. Have a sense of love. But if it's before God, it's disordered in your life, and it's causing all sorts of problems in your life. God says, Jesus says, you're right, this is what you have to do. And he, it pierced his heart. Let me say this. If you're a believer in here and the word of God's never pierced your heart, I, I can say this pretty confidently. You don't know Jesus. You have an idea of who God is. But we can make God in our image by justifying our behavior to make it feel good instead of needing a Justifier. God pierces the heart. In the book of Acts, the people were pierced to the heart. And God's not trying to hurt you with a sword, but he's a surgeon. And he wants to go in and pull out the cancer that is within you. And if you've never been wounded by Scripture, if God agrees with everything you believe, you are your own God. You justify yourself. You find people that will tell you what you want to believe so that you can suppress the idea that I don't fully love God the way I'm supposed to. And what he does is he wants to justify himself so he's like, okay, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Okay, who's my neighbor? Because everybody had different ideas of who their neighbor was. Some would say, your neighbor is the Pharisees. You need to honor them. You need to love them. Some would say, your fellow Jews. And Jesus brilliantly answers him with a story I love it a plus B equals C sometimes doesn't work with people especially intellectuals but a story gets to the heart of the issue it's brilliant the genius of Jesus look what he says and Jesus answered and said a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho it's literally down you're heading east. And while you're heading this way, there is a road. We've been there. If you've ever been to Israel, we've actually been able to see it. And it was common to go to that area. A lot of people would go from Jerusalem to Jericho, go back to their home, or take that specific road. This road was actually by a church father in the fourth century named Jerome. It It was called the Bloody Way. It was a very dangerous road because there's all sorts of hills and areas where people would come out and harm you. And this is what we see. This was a common thing, a common story, a common occurrence. It would be like saying there was road rage on 610. Yeah, unfortunately, it's happening all the time. Pivot. Stop honking your horn at people. It's not worth it, okay? i like what crystal wiley or uh, who who just did our announcement she says this if somebody is like cutting you off and going fast you need to reframe that situation don't honk don't go fast and get up right to their bumper because people be crazy right now you need to reframe and go that person needs to go to the bathroom i I mean they just need to go to the bathroom and you might save your life because people are crazy right now it is a bloody highway certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. He's half dead, naked, shamed on the side of the road. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. I think every word is very interesting that Jesus uses here, and if we read too fast, we miss the genius of Jesus. Now, by chance, that guy didn't know he was going to stumble across. But I believe there's no such thing as coincidences. And God planned, the man of God, to happen to go down to save this guy's life. There's a plan he didn't even know he was a part of. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw him, no thanks. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Again, this would be a common practice. If you were a priest or a Levite, you would have regular times where you would have to travel to Jerusalem to do your priestly or Levitical duties in the temple. The priests are making sacrifices, they're serving people, they're helping people, they're teaching. The Levites would do the same, they'd be a part of the temple system. So here's the deal. These two people that are near God but nothing like Him are doing the religious work, doing the right things. They know the right phrases, they know the right theology... And they see someone in the road and they say, well, I've already done my work for the Lord. Clock out. These are the same people. We can relate to this because I don't know about you, but I'm tired lately. I got friends, people in our church that have lost loved ones to all sorts of things. I've got two teenagers and a 10-year-old that's high-functioning autistic. Autistic. I've got a dad in prison. I've got a church and try to take care of people. I get it. I'm tired. And sometimes I just want to clock out, man. Anybody else a little weary in this season? We can relate before we just go, ah, those religious people. This is us. We can relate. Why? Because here's the deal. You can justify any action. A priest and a Levite are serving in their temple, doing their thing, clock out. I just want to get home. Listen, it's about a day's journey. If you start early in the morning from Jerusalem to Jericho, if you get caught and you stop or you don't hurry, you will get caught at night. And this is a bloody way. You could hurt. You could be hurt. You see this person. And not only that, you're thinking of your own safety, your own flesh, your own life, which is a normal thing. And we can all relate to that. But if you stopped and helped that person, if he's dead or even just touching his blood, you are now not clean anymore. And you have to quarantine yourself for seven days. Now you can't see your family, do your farming, do the thing, be in the synagogue, be a part of the community. You've been doing your work. You want to get home. You do not want to get stuck having to quarantine. Does that sound like anything? Scripture is just old. God doesn't know my problems see somebody like ah, I don't have time to mess with your mess because I don't want to get anything from you we start seeing people as resources and not people great excuses I need to get home I've got things who knows he has a sick kid all of the reasons but we see being near God in the temple is not the same as knowing God and being like him and there's issues that we have and excuses that cause us to justify who is gonna be our neighbor today. If you wake up and go, I believe this today, I believe this tomorrow, it's a justification of self to make us feel better so we don't have to feel the wounds that cause us to go to a savior. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, now I don't have time to go to all the details of Samaria and what a Samaritan was, but real quick, When Israel was captured by the Assyrians, and then later the Babylonians, and then later Romans, what those armies and nations would do is they would get the best of the tribe or the people that they conquered, and they would take them out of their land. You see this in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would take their best because what they want to do is cause disorder. So the people would not follow their current leaders they're gone now they would start to follow the new leaders it was smart and so what they did is they conquered them they took their best and then the people were left and they brought in the other Assyrians and later the Babylonians and they started intermarrying and having different religion and then they made their own temple then when God let the children of Israel back and they started the new temple Nehemiah some of these things in the old testament Now the Jews are despising the Samaritans, saying, you've intermingled, you've done all these wrong things, you are not truly bloodline, you are a half human to us. You don't deserve citizenship. Does this sound like anything? You talk about racism. They even went and ransacked their temple at one point. You talk about enmity, hatred. They hated each other. And Jesus, in his story, had to bring a Samaritan? Is the hero to a Jew the genius of Jesus? And it says this not he happened to, but as he journeyed, as if he just does this. What is he doing in Israel territory? He's a Samaritan, but he's an outsider. He came where He was and He saw Him and He had compassion. Let me say this, compassion always starts with self-awareness. There's no such thing as compassion until you are self-aware because you have to know yourself well enough to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes which is compassion. A Samaritan that is out of his country, that is out of his religion, that is on a journey. He knows what it feels like to not have his people around him, the nationality, feel like he's hated, and instead of using that to walk by him, he used that to say, I know what it feels like to be alone, to be naked, to be left, and even my brothers, my certain priest, maybe his priest, that knew him passed by. The Samaritan saw him and had compassion. So he went to him. I love that. He had compassion, so he acted. So he went to him and banded his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. This was like a, just, just medicine. And he set him on his own animal, which means now he has to walk the rest of the way. He's going to be delayed. Carl Jung is quoted by saying, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. It's inconvenient to love someone. It says he brought him to an end and took care of him. On the next day when he departed... He took out two denarii, which is equivalent, some scholars say, to a one to two months worth of stay. He takes them to the inn, and, and this inn, they didn't, have, they didn't have like a Marriott or Hilton at the time. An inn was an Airbnb. We think we're so smart, we came up with that. That's what it was. They would have a large enough house, true story, where they would have an extra room, and they would, people would pay to stay in their room. He took out... Enough for one to two months stay, because I don't know how long this guy's going to be okay. And he says, gave it to the innkeeper, said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. This is huge. Because they didn't have bankruptcy laws at the time. So if you get caught up in someone else's debt, you could be put in prison. You could be a slave yourself. Household until you pay it off. And he's saying, Hey, if it costs you any extra, you know I come back this way because I journey and this is what I do. This is an amazing story. Verse 36 So, which of these do you think, here's a question, Jesus, was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, the guy who's been trying to justify himself, the guy who like all of us can rationalize any situation or make us feel better, says the one who showed mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan because that's his enemy. The one who gave him mercy. Who do you need to give mercy to? Who do you struggle with in your heart And he said, he who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, as we start to wrap up, I think of our society today, and I think of the Christian world at large and church at large, sadly. You know, we are still all around the globe making hospitals, doing orphan care. You know, people that, let me just say, people that are like, all religion does is make war. This is not true. It's not true. Don't believe those things. Say, what wars are you talking about? Ask a good question, like Jesus. What do you mean by that? Has Christianity done any good? But let me tell you, the reason why there's that rhetoric is because we are seeing so many people that aren't living out the agape love of Jesus that he talks about. In the book of Romans, Paul says this, you who make your boast in the law, think about this lawyer, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. Paul says it straight up. Listen, people hate God because the people that represent God don't love like God. Don't act like God. This idea of love Who is the neighbor I should love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This idea of love, if we don't have the same definition of what that is, we're going to be very much struggling in our culture today. We will say this, I love chocolate cake. Any chocolate cake fans? Love chocolate cake. By love, what I mean is, I want to eat it. I want to consume it. And in the same breath, you might say, I love my boyfriend or girlfriend. And what you really mean is, I want to consume them. Usually, when we say things like this, we should be using the word, I desire. I lust is a scriptural term. But we have this idea of love and and we have this notion. Even in our country, you'll hear it if you listen to commercials. Do what you want to do. Do what you love. Freedom means no one can tell you what to do. And Jesus' words say, actually, you're torn between what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So if you just do everything you want to do, Jesus actually calls that slavery. Because there is a freedom to do something and a freedom from something. Those are two different things. I don't, I want freedom from authority, freedom to love, but I don't have freedom to be able to love because I'm exhausted. I've clocked out. I've justified my actions towards other people, and I've already put in tribes who I think is good and bad. This is the psyche, and this is what we're fed constantly. Constantly. This is the idea of freedom in our culture that is so off because it's not really love. Love is this, and this is a quote from John Comer, a great book called Live No Lies. Highly recommended. He says this, the agape love, he says, love God, love your neighbor, is a compassionate commitment to delight in the soul of another and to will that person's good ahead of your own no matter what the cost to yourself. That's how we love God, and we love an enemy, and we love someone that might not deserve our love to us. In the book of Galatians, Paul talks about this good Samaritan, or he talks about this idea of loving your neighbor. He says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Yes, we want freedom. Freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, agape love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. This is what we just read. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Sounds like the church. Sounds like our nation. And then Paul says you have this war of freedoms between what you want to do and what you don't want to do, between the spirit, between the flesh. And he says this, so I say, this is how we get out of it. Walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, you have these desires. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Look at this, they are in conflict with each other as I'm trying to justify myself so that you are not to do whatever you want. You can't do whatever you want and follow God. But the beautiful thing is he gives you a new heart and a new spirit and like a good virus gets in you and starts changing your DNA where you're exhausted, but you have enough love because you've been loved enough that you can go to your neighbor And the person you don't love Give them mercy and forgiveness And take care of them I don't know about you I need that kind of spirit In this time right now Because I'm out of my own idea of love I need God's energizing spirit To infuse me with his kind of love to be able to pull apart the evil desires that I have and proclivities I have to walk with His Spirit and be energized to help someone else. But here's the key. Because He says, which, help, which, which one, the man who showed mercy, go and do likewise. Until you're crushed, By the magnitude of what Jesus requires, love God with all my heart, love my neighbor, even my enemy, you won't be humble enough to receive the love he offers until you let that wound hit you and go, I can't, God. And he goes, I know that's why I am the ultimate Samaritan. I am the one that sees you. You're dead on the road. I see you. I came to you. I put you on an animal. I took you to an inn, a church, and gave you an innkeeper, the Holy Spirit. I am the one that is the good Samaritan. You are dead in your trespasses. You can't do anything. You can try and pull up your bootstraps. You cannot do it. I found you on the road. I pulled you out. I will heal you. I will pour oil and wine. I will Leave you my Holy Spirit, and when I come again, he said, repay whatever I need, because his grace is sufficient. This message isn't just go and be better, but it's your actually idea of better is way different than God's. And it causes us to go, I need a Savior. I can't do it alone. I need a filling of the Spirit So I won't gratify my flesh, but will walk. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close. I want you to grab your communion. We're going to close in worship and sing this song that we sang today. It's a new song for some of you. It's written by our EverNation family. We're saying you've never failed me yet, because at the end of the day, this is the good news. Of Jesus that we celebrate in communion of his body broken for us to say, God, I need the infusing of you. I can't do it on my own. And you gave this to me. You've never failed me yet. Yeah. And he does that in order to then also empower you to do it to others. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Let's take our bread and eat it. And likewise, take the drink in remembrance of Jesus and what He's done as the Good Samaritan to us to fill us to serve others. Father, as we worship You, Lord, I ask that You fill us with Your Spirit, God. Those that are weary, Lord, we come to You and say, Pour on oil and wine so that we can do the same to someone else. Refresh us so we can refresh others. In Jesus' name, amen.